Andrea and I were just talking about the retreat and been very we've been very pleased with you all. <laughs> just everyone's applying themselves to the practice and really engaged with this endeavor of being with our own experience and using what we're hearing and using our the information that we have and exploring what's arising. Think about what our life is in terms of the in the moment experience we are you know before we come on retreat or before we begin a practice we you know, we have our six sense doors that are operating we are seeing things we're hearing things. We have our life experiences, we've emotions and thoughts. A lot of unpleasant experiences from being in this world, the way it's conditioned, its blindness, the impact that it has. Some good things in the world as well, plenty of good things. But what the Dharma really offers us is a chance to take what we are experiencing and gives us the power, the opportunity to really develop understanding and to grow our minds, grow wisdom, cultivate that which we know is skillful, which helps us in our life in this journey. And we really become more sensitive to those habits of mind that need seeing, that need that clarity of just being with what's happening. The Dharma over time really becomes, I find, more and more simple because Instead of the mind getting tripped up by experiences, the clarity of mind, the knowing, the knowing the Dhamma simplifies, it disentangles the complex uh, intricacies of the moment, the thoughts swirling around and judgments in the mind and confusion that's there and it slowly gets disentangled and we see the possibility of just this ordinariness being awake, having a mind that's fresh with experience. 
this quality of awareness and mindfulness start to get really stable and we can rely on it more and we trust it. We can trust that being with our experience, knowing our experience is worth doing, that it's worth knowing what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and to honor it. So easy to rush by a moment and not honor what we're experiencing. The kind of simplicity of the practice really takes place when we understand that the experiences themselves are simply unfolding. They're simply unfolding. Conditions, causes are there for this experience to arise. What's this moment like? What's happening now? Our job becomes very simple as practitioners when we realize that we can be aware of anything, anything that's happening in our heart and mind, body. The skill of tuning in and listening to our experience gets more established and gain more confidence that the Dhamma of the moment, the reality of the moment, that it's, it is as it is, and that when we pay attention to it, everything we need to know to grow our wisdom is available. That we can grow insights from seeing how the mind becomes bored, and then seeing boredom change, that it's impermanent, that it's not in our control, that when Thoughts, they're in the mind, they're also just coming and going, moods coming and going. So we don't need to be in conflict with our experience less and less we realize that simply trusting experience, listening to our experience, developing compassion, developing clarity, And that's all that's needed. And then the mind forgets, gets entangled, and that becomes another insight. The mind gets forgetful, gets entangled. That too is impermanent, just happening lawfully. In just a matter of a few days without 
doing so much. The nature of the mind changes. It gets more settled. It's more present, we're more established in our experience. More of our own wisdom is operating. Confidence and trust is operating. It's important, important really to see how the mind can change. And it doesn't take that long, but it does take, it takes our application of effort and willingness to, to show up. And that even in a few days, the quality of mind really can change. And that if we apply ourselves in a steady way, learning more and more how to practice in the various changing conditions of our life and in the changing conditions that we find ourselves in our communities, in the world at large, with the way it is. And we learn to navigate it more and more skillfully, learning to wake up in the midst of all the delusion of the world and confusion. wasn't sure if I was going to say anything, and then I started saying something. And before your minds get too sleep-induced, want to keep the mind awake, we do want to take questions. Um, and start. We have one written question here. So I'd love to hear more about the quality of effort, especially as it's mentioned in bullet point 23 (laughs) (laughs) of your super useful cheat sheet. Okay. Okay. Only when there is faith or confidence, effort will arise. Only when there is effort, mindfulness will become continuous. Only when mindfulness is continuous, stability of mind will become established. Only when stability of mind is established, you will start understanding things as they are. When you start understanding things as they are, faith will grow stronger. So that's bullet point 23. (laughs) Do you want to jump in? Okay. So the quality of effort. Effort is one of those factors that has so many ways of entering into what, uh, how to think of effort and energy. See which way my mind wants to think about it. <laughs> in a very ordinary way, you know, we all started our path at some point. Whether we 
come onto the path or visit it and then leave it, visit it and leave it. But each time that we are going to move into the path and practice, something that is there as we do that is this quality of confidence and trust that that there is something to be done, that this this practice is worth doing. The this list that is mentioned here, faith, effort, mindfulness, stability of mind or concentration, and then panya, which is wisdom, it's known as the five spiritual faculties. And those qualities uh, sometimes Seidel says it, it's really those qualities that are practicing. So if we kind of think about, okay, if we're being mindful and we're checking what's actually practicing in the moment, sometimes we would say, I'm practicing. And I'm trying to practice. And then we get more specific about what's actually happening. We look and we say, oh, there's some mindfulness is present. And the mind has some Stability, oh, so the stability is practicing. And then there may be some amount of wisdom or information in the mind. Oh, it's wisdom that's practicing as well. And there's some confidence there. And then we're putting in the effort and energy. So all these things, all these factors, we normally don't even identify necessarily as, as what's practicing. That this is even another understanding of how it's simply the nature of the mind when we intend it towards practice, we're using intention to cultivate these qualities, these qualities begin to unfold. And as they're stronger, we can trust that confidence or faith, effort and energy, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom begin to really unfold. And we can watch these qualities develop and over the course of being on retreat, these factors have all been supported to some degree. You know, they've all been developed. There may be a bit more confidence. There may be a bit more understanding of how to apply effort, or there's more confidence to put in energy into the practice, to be interested in how suffering arises. We can look at that. And maybe the, the mindfulness is getting more established. It's allowing more experiences to be received into the field of mindfulness. Right, so the, the strength of awareness is really beginning to grow and the stability is, is the concentration is, is there. And then as we stay with our experiences over and over again, this leads into seeing things as they are. That's how the wisdom arises. We see things as they are. And if we want to see things as they are, we need to use the quality of mindfulness and that stability that actu actually can stay with experience and see the nature of something. See the nature of the mind. See that it's changing. See that moods come and go. See cause and effect playing out. And, and just to say that, you know, it's the quality of effort. And we've been talking a lot about how much effort is needed in our practice. You know, and this is really, I, I just love the, the, the aspect of mindfulness and awareness when we really understand the effortless nature of that quality that when we remember in the moment to pay attention, then we've already done the job of being mindful.
And at that point, the mind's already knowing what's happening, and then there's a liking or disliking, and then we tend to get involved. But the ease of simply recognizing experience, it's, that's already done as soon as we remember to be mindful. Right? That we, we, can, we know something about our experience as soon as the mind remembers. We know how we're feeling, we know the mood and the mind, we know the general state. And so that effortless nature of awareness is uh, really understood and that allows us to practice in our life in a way that we find we really can practice continuously in the various conditions of our life when, when we know what right effort really is pointing to, that it's a, a that the energy is put into remembering experience, checking the attitude of mind, bringing in some wisdom into the, into the mind, so remembering that something about that this is nature and it can be seen that this is simply a mood or a thought and that the real energy is not about trying to change our experience, that that's just the defilements playing out. Every time we're not liking, we go, oh, right, that's, a, that's, the, that's aversion, that's greed, it's wanting. And so then the, the right effort really is being understood through wisdom, what, what right effort really is. Do you want to add anything? So, kind of saying the same thing in different words, maybe. Um, I guess I would highlight the the kind of a well, couple pieces. One, the the way effort in our practice, how we use effort, how we make effort. It's kind of the art of meditation because it's not that you get one thing and you say, "Oh, this is how I make effort," and I'll just do that from now on, because. You know, this list of the five faculties really points to a cyclic and deepening nature of the practice. And so when we start, there's, you know, not a lot of um, understanding at a visceral level, at, a, at, a, at an experiential level. We hear, we hear information, and the first kind of wisdom that Alexis talked about, Suttamaya Panya, the, the wisdom of hearing and maybe that inspires some faith. And that creates this germ of, am I willing to run the experiment and see if this works? And so in that, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, the inspiration that faith prompts our curiosity and our decision to actually do something. And it feels like I'm doing something in that case. The encouragement in this practice is for that to be a light touch moment after moment. We've talked about that so much, you know. Not that we're bearing down, not that we are, you know, trying really hard to do something, but just, am I aware? And as Alexis just said, you know, in just that question, whoo, that's all the effort we need in that moment. It's like, oh, I'm aware. But that does take some remembering, you know. It takes some... Uh, 
what Sayadaw calls personal effort to act. We have to perhaps use these reminders, use the reminder, am I aware of what? Am I aware of what? You know, checking in to the objects of attention and, uh, or maybe just, am I, or just maybe just the aware question and beginning to highlight the experience of awareness itself. And so these are ways that we use personal effort in a light touch. And then as we do that, as we make that effort, as we try, because of the faith, the confidence that it's useful, somebody else, we're basically borrowing somebody else's faith. We're borrowing the wisdom that others have offered us and saying, okay, I remember the first, the first time somebody sent me a Dharma book and it's like, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but nothing else has worked. I guess I'm willing to try this out. So it's like, that's faith, inspiring effort. Inspiring that movement of willing to try it. Let's run the experiment. Let's see if when you just pay attention to your emotions, it actually has an impact. So, so that, that personal effort of meeting experience moment after moment. And as we do that, as these faculties say, you know, uh, as we apply that mindfulness, apply that effort to be mindful, the faculty of mindfulness grows. And with the light touch and mindfulness together, that's, that's really those two together, that gentle persistence and the mindfulness moment after moment, that, you know, we talked about the scooter, you know, just like, that creates a momentum of the mindfulness, which is concentration, that fourth faculty. And all of those together, the energy, the mindfulness, the concentration, create the conditions for, as Alexa said, for us to see things as they are. We see, we see we begin to understand the value. We begin to understand that when we um, see a pattern arising, a, pa- a reactive pattern, we understand the suffering of it. We maybe even see something kind of startling, like the arising of self-hatred is conditioned by a thought arising and believing that thought and seeing that conditioned nature in a moment. There's wisdom that understands this is just a thought. This is not some, um, and Alexis just mentioned in his little talk that everything we need to understand our suffering is available in the present moment. And seeing a pattern arising in the present moment, seeing how it's constructed in the present moment, wisdom kind of goes, oh, that's, that's how that's put together and understands in the same moment that it's not necessary for the mind to put it together. And maybe it falls apart. You know, maybe we see something so different about our reactive patterns. And so as we go through this, as we cultivate the mindfulness, cultivate the concentration through that gentle application of effort, a momentum of mindfulness builds and we begin to understand the value of the practice. We understand why we do it. We, 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 we have no question why we do it, in effect. And uh, in understanding that value, the faith gets stronger. And as that faith gets stronger, it's, it's, 
there's less, it's almost like there's less need to kind of pick it up. Okay, I guess I'm willing to run the experiment. It's more like, yeah, let's run the experiment. And so there's a kind of a more liveliness to the effort, maybe still some personal effort in there. But over time, as we cultivate that momentum of um, mindfulness and the wisdom grows, at some point, wisdom starts making the effort. And at that point, it feels like what we would call effortless. And Saida often says, it's not effortless. There is effort being made. It's just not that we're having to pick it up and do it. I'm not having to say, okay, I guess I'm willing to do this. Let me try to be mindful. As wisdom grows, wisdom understands the value of mindfulness. And wisdom, as I said this morning, wisdom acts. And in this case, wisdom acts to make effort. And it doesn't feel like I, ha- I have to do it. And so as we um, explore this quality of effort in our meditation, you know, we like it when it gets like this. You know, some of you have had a taste of this effortless practice. It's like, yeah, you know, you know just sitting here and it's like so easy to be aware. I'm just hearing sounds and feeling, feeling a, the beginning of, a, of an arising reactivity, see it disappear. Just very little doing to it. And then conditions change, and some storm comes up that we didn't quite get to see, and a pattern of reactivity takes over for a while, and then we sit down, and it's not so easy to be mindful anymore. And, you know, we resist at that point, bringing that gentle persistence back, because we got attached to that, oh, I don't have to do it. I figured it out. I'll never have problems meditating ever again. (laughs) And, you know, it goes away. It goes away. And we just have to learn to trust that, that it's not that we failed. It's not that we've, like, you know, blown it. Its conditions are different. And we need to learn how to tune that uh, level of effort based on conditions. So that light touch is kind of our basic practice. And then, uh, you know, early on we talked about that scooter and, and beginning to recognize, you know, if, if you're riding that scooter and there is a momentum to that scooter, you know, you can just be riding on that scooter. It, it gets in the way to put your foot down and keep trying to push it along, right? And so very similarly, as the momentum of mindfulness builds, Actually getting out of the way and just allowing wisdom to take the lead is really helpful. But then we need to recognize when it gets wobbly and when to start putting our foot down, when to start bringing that light touch, just come back, come back. And so this is the art of our meditation. The need for that persistent light touch of effort, how much we do that will vary depending on the conditions, depending on the momentum of mindfulness. And it can, it can, it does begin to feel like an art form for me. It's like, um, it's, it's like reading the climate. This is what's needed right now. Yeah.
and it was really tiring. Thanks to your talk last night, was it last night, about being mindful of, of awareness. Mm -hmm. um, because I was paying really close attention to the quality of the mindfulness, it was fascinating, but I had to be really meticulous. Mm -hmm. You know, it had like different flavors and it would flutter and and then I would realize I was halfway through a thought that I hadn't noticed because yep. I was paying so much attention to the yeah. quality of mindfulness. Yeah. And it seemed like too much going on. But at the same time, being aware of the mindfulness seemed to be really, really useful. And as I said, it was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you what you describe, I think, is a kind of how the learning works, you know. It's like we, we, we practice with something, there's an interest there, so there's a kind of a, wow, let's look at this more carefully. And yet, we also see how a narrowing of focus can lead to not seeing something else. And so, it, it's like the learning process. We just um, um, see that oh, that kind of meticulous effort may be helpful at times, but maybe also needing to kind of weave in and out of a broader attention. And, you know, it's like, so the mind got lost. <laughs> you, know, you notice that, and then you see, oh, wow, the mind was so closely paying attention to that, it missed something else. Right there, there's a learning. So, it, you know, we don't have to have the idea that we need to make the effort and have it be perfect, but just learn from how learning from how it unfolds. It does sound like there might have been, it sounds like you got tired, you know, so it, there might have been a little more uh, uh, holding or pushing than, uh, that, that may have been the thing that kind of blocked seeing something else. So, you know, if you feel into the quality, not only of the mindfulness, but how you're using it, you know, that little bit of, oh, oh, this is so interesting, but a little bit of greed around that interesting, that, that, that's the place to also check. It's like, oh, can that interest be strong, but not kind of tight? It felt like if I didn't really hold on to it, it would disappear. Uh-huh. And, and and that that may be true, and um, there's sometimes sometimes I see when I've got that kind of mind going, it's like, okay, what if I back off just a little bit? Is it possible to stay there? And and sometimes I see, oh yeah, I'm making a lot of effort. Feels like I need it, but let me just back off a little. Wow, okay, still mindful. Okay, back off a little. Oh, still mindful. Back off. Oh, phew, gone. So kind of playing with the. The, the the gas pedal. <laughs> Do I need that much? Can it coast a little bit? Yeah. I'm going to add anything. Mm. Just, I think... Anytime we're, anytime we're trying to do something that's a little bit different than we're really familiar with, it's going to have that, you know, that sense of, is this, you know, and am I doing this the right way? And, and because we're not really proficient at it yet, it's going to feel as if we're putting in, we, and we do, we need to, in some ways, put in a bit more energy to kind of personal efforting that feels like I'm, I've got to do this to really watch the mind instead of, if I just let the mind go to where it's familiar and what it really knows, there's a certain pattern that it goes into. And if I'm trying to allow the awareness to recognize more 
in the moment, it might take that little bit of adjusting. And I'm just, just getting an image of like when I can imagine when I was crawling on the ground and I tried to then walk and I was like, you guys said it was easier to walk. I'm going to keep crawling because this is clearly easier down here. And it's just you keep crawling and we try and stand up again. You know, and how do we learn to walk? And we're watching other people walking. And, you know, it's like anytime we're taking on a new skill, it's a bit like that. You know, we're, we're developing, we have to figure out how do we do this in a way. But I think what it really does point to over time is that that quality of awareness in its natural state, doesn't need to restrict anything out of its lens. So that when we get really good at knowing some aspect of our experience, you know, as we get really comfortable with allowing awareness to know more and not feel as if it's getting distracted by knowing more, but get comfortable that now it's knowing more, now it's knowing the quality of the mind, the quality of the mindfulness, oh, Okay, that's actually even more potentially, it's not more kind of a lax natural state than having it restricted to something. And then when we have that ability to be both with mind and body in a more fluid state, then very naturally we can direct the attention if there's something relevant to look at. And we can take a singular object if that's what's relevant. But it's more like, okay, now it's in that, that capacity of the mind to do that. I can be with something specific. And at times, just allowing the Dhamma to reveal what's next, whatever's happening now. It's happening now, and it doesn't need to be darting around as much as simply resting and trusting that whatever comes, the quality of mindfulness can meet it. Right? And I had, you know, I had a very strong habit of doing something with my practice, bringing my attention to a particular aspect of the body. And I was, I was just sharing with one group that I then got very aversive to that because I was trying to do this more open thing. And the encouragement at that time was just recognizing, oh, the mind has this tendency to practice in this way. So now I'm not, in, I'm not restricting the awareness to just knowing what I was knowing before. Now I'm also knowing that the attention is doing this, that it's going to, these, to the sensations in the body and maybe there's a version there. So there's more and more that's being let in. It doesn't have to look like a certain way. It can just be more expanded. And we're starting to just recognize the nature of the mind or the mindfulness as well as the, you know, as the objects. Thanks. Yeah, Tim. Yeah, so there's, do you want to handle this one? Yeah, go <laughs> Team teaching. <laughs> um, so if you look at what the Four Noble Truths are saying, um, they're saying suffering happens. The arising of suffering has a cause. 
So cause and effect is right there in the Four Noble Truths. Um, the other, uh, and then again, you know, there, there, there's the possibility of the ending of suffering, and that has a cause, the path of practice. And so the Four Noble Truths is a cause and effect, or a, uh, you know, it's a real, it's, it's a, it's a understanding of a conditioned arising. Um, so that, that understanding of cause and there are other places where it says right view is understanding dependent origination or right view is you know so there's different definitions but you're right that's the kind of classical uh, definition of understanding the four noble truths but that, that does include um, cause and effect the other piece it includes i think is just the understanding of suffering and the understanding of suffering includes recognizing what is it that leads to suffering. So what are the conditions that lead to suffering? What are the conditions that lead to happiness? And another classic definition of, of wise view is recognizing what's skillful and what's unskillful with respect to suffering. And so that, again, that's embedded in the Four Noble Truths. So I think, you know, often we talk about the kind of classic Definitions of wisdom is understanding, you know, greed, aversion, and delusion lead us down the garden path to suffering, and then understanding cause and effect as another important aspect of wise view. Then we say some other things like, you know, recognizing that um, an experience, a rising experience, is just an experience. You know, that that's that's a perspective of wise view. Now, uh, how that fits with the four noble truths? Let's see if I can figure that one out. And that's embedded in the teaching on wise mindfulness for sure. The, the Satipatthana Sutta kind of inclines us to notice phenomenon as just an arising um, as the way to understand the conditioned nature of, of suffering. Um, but you know, I can't really, I can't really pull that one out of the, out of the four noble truths in this moment. It's in the path, yeah. It's in. Oh, right. The 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 wise, uh, wise mindfulness is in the eightfold path, which is the fourth. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you get to start this time. to, you know, reach the state of, of kind of non-suffering or do we kind of let go of the, I mean, I know people who are attached to going to retreat <laughs> and, you know, or you know, yoga or whatever, or having a pet or these things that obviously have, you know, very positive things for, mm-hmm. for the system. At what point does that kind of get in the way of, you know, an important step to mm-hmm. ending suffering. Mm-hmm. Trying to get the engines going in the brain. <laughs> so that there's seems to be a lot of things in our life that, in some ways, seem serve us. You know, they bring they bring good qualities into our life, like pets and relationships and even good food brings a sense of happiness. 
And when, are we, when is it that we let go of something? Because it's going to serve us to let go. You know, I, I'm finding in my own path, my practice, that it's interesting that, you know, there's less and less that I'm needing to force or to have happen to make something change or to get rid of something. And as the nature of the mind changes, right, as we see our own life differently, we see something and, we, and the mind is then changing, it will let go of those things that are not supportive in that moment. And I think as we are honest, and we can even go overboard with a sense of letting go, and what we're really doing is almost denying or we're no longer listening intuitively to what, where we're at and what's supportive for us. That I'm in a field of relationships that's really supportive, it's very helpful. And then if we think, well, I need to just be, I need to do the kind of, solitary Buddha thing, you know, go to the tree and just not get up until I'm enlightened. You know, we're forcing something that's not intuitive and listening. And then at times, maybe there's a lot of confidence and faith arising and a lot of Dhamma energy in the mind. And if we don't listen to that, we might be missing an opportunity to actually take advantage of the Dhamma mind that wants to go spend some time and listen more closely and that we can let go of the extent of our involvement in the world at that moment, because that's what's relevant. You know, when I was very interested to go and spend time, you know, in the monastery and in Burma and then take robes, it, it was so natural and so easy because it was simply what was, it was what was there, it was what was resonating in my mind and heart. And as I was listening to it and I stayed there as long as that's what was right. And at some point, the pull from my family, from my parents and the things that they were needing felt more intuitively at that point relevant. Didn't make sense for me to try and come back at that time, you know, culturally uh, in robes. And so I was just listening and then I could come back without regret, without remorse, without blaming and be back in a way that was, that was fitting to what was true for me, right? And I think if we're really listening and honest, we will, we will be able to meet uh, our experience in a way that's very wise and timely. And know when is it conceptual? When am I telling myself I shouldn't be doing something? You know, and versus what is simply with the reality, oh, there's still desire for this. There's still craving, let me stay with that because that's what it's going to teach me about the nature of that habit of mind. You know, and, and I think when we're trying to skip lessons or skip things, it's, we're not really, li- we're not tuning in to our life. Um, just one <coughs> kind of level of greed story. Someone was reporting to uh, Utejaniya in Burma about going through the food line and they serve their vegetarian food and also um, meat and fish. And so this particular yogi uh, loved shrimp. It's one of their favorite things was shrimp. And they saw that day shrimp was being served. So they were going through the, the food line and they could, you know, they saw the shrimp ahead, a few dishes down. And they could just see the mind getting kind of quite 
it's like uh, looking at the shrimp, wanting the shrimp. Like, I'm going to take, you know, am I going to take the shrimp? Seeing the greed arise, and her practice was really going. So just seeing the greed come up, and then seeing it letting go of the greed. The greed came up, letting go of the greed. And then she was in front of the shrimp and looking at it, just looking. Greed arose, went away. Greed arose, went away. And then she went to the next dish. And so Saito said, did you take the shrimp? And she said, no, I didn't. Like very proudly, I didn't take the shrimp. He's like, take the shrimp. <laughs> 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 you learned the lot. You learned what you needed to see, right? You know, you saw the greed. It's like, you saw it. And it's not to then avoid the pleasant experience because that's not, that's not what we're doing. We're not avoiding everything pleasant and avoiding that which is, you know, brings joy and life to the mind. And it was just, it was hilarious to hear it all saying, take the shrimp. And he got very animated because he's a bit of a foodie. He <laughs> likes his food. Eat the shrimp. So it became a bit of a mantra. Every time someone was avoiding something pleasant, we would just say, eat the shrimp. Eat the shrimp. <laughs> so, you know, this is, yeah. what we're letting go of is, is the grasping and the clinging, not the shrimp. <laughs> I'll just add one piece, and that is um, around relationships. Um, It's very easy to have clinging in relationships and to think, you know, oh, I shouldn't have relationships or, you know, have that idea that because there's clinging. Again, the same thing, you know, take the shrimp, you know, it's... (laughs) you know, some kind of an idea that because there's clinging, it means that relationship is bad. And, you know, exploring the possibility of, you know, what's under there, you know, there's, there's the love, there's the connection, there's some fear, there's some sense of, you know, wanting, wanting that person to um, always be there to be a certain way. So there's both the open-hearted connection and the delight and the the beauty of the metta, and there's the contraction. And we don't have to, sometimes just, you know, we don't have to throw everything out. We are asked to explore the suffering. You know, where is that clinging? Where is that attachment? And, um, you know, in my own, in my own exploration around this, I see that, you know, when, when the clinging goes away, the love is deeper. I mean, it's like sometimes we think if we're not clinging to a love relationship that, you know, it doesn't mean we, re- it means we don't care or something. But, you know, the, the connection, that clinging, that craving, that wanting it to be a certain way is actually in the way of a deepening of that connection. And so that's, that's part of the exploration, you know. Again, the exploration isn't, oh, clinging, bad, let me just, chuck the whole thing. You know, this points back to something I was saying the other day. Often with our patterns around clinging or craving, greed, aversion, there's a thread back to love. And uh, the, the exploration of um, mindfulness of the clinging pattern can dissolve the craving, the aversion, and leave the love. So, you know, if we have the idea, shouldn't do that, you know, just chuck the whole thing, we are missing the opportunity to deepen those wholesome qualities, so.
doing walking and I was playing with um, watching myself lose mindfulness and then I noticed the tendency to as soon as I realized that I am not mindful to grab something mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be mindful of and by then that's what I wanted to see is gone so I loved your playful memory I think, oh, missed it that time <laughs> and it, it is very interesting because the, the not grasping an object allows the freedom to be in the experience which is kind of continuous even for a moment back and I couldn't couldn't really maintain that. I haven't maintained that yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've only done it a couple of times. Keep playing. Just, <laughs> just keep doing it, I guess. Yeah. There, the, the, it seems so far, I'm not sure if this is accurate, but that what, where I was was creating something, something of my, some selfing activity. In the grabbing? Well, in the past. What took me from mindfulness, I, it seems oh, I like see. Uh-huh. I'm um, creating a self in, in that moment of losing mindfulness. Because otherwise I could just go on through it unless I had to... And it's possible to see the creation of a sense of self and be mindful of it. So again, not, not, having, the idea, not having the idea that there's something inherently about that, that there's a habit of losing mindfulness as that happens. So the, again, the curiosity is like, how might it be possible to watch that birth of self and be completely mindful for it? Of the word mindfulness in English, in English, mindfulness, yeah, where does it come from? So the question of mindfulness, uh, that maybe John Kabat-Zinn coined the, the word mindfulness some 40 years ago. What did we say before that? Uh, I don't know the first time mindfulness was used, or what did it mean before we actually understood? I, you know, before someone was truly mindful in the Western culture, what, were we, what did we mean by mindfulness? Be here now. Yeah. From the 1880s, a Christian interpretation, uh, and that the word mindfulness was being used then. It was um, being used to translate sati for sati. a long uh, time before John Kabat-Zinn brought yeah. it in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then John Kabat-Zinn did, did a great. John Kabat-Zinn came and sat retreated in Insight Meditation Society. Learned about mindfulness and took it to the world. <laughs> yeah, he said he had his insight of uh, the impact it would have, first in the medical community and just on a three-month retreat, you know, at the center. And then, um, 
you know, but now when we hear this word mindfulness and people are seeing this word all over the place, it's interesting to see even when a word enters into a culture, what impact that might make. Being here now, yeah, yeah. This is just like it is. right? Yeah, and then Ramdas studied in India from various uh, sadhus and gurus, and and they're all steeped, you know, in the long tradition of awareness practices of the various traditions, and that's also the uh, was the home place you know, of the Dharma, you know, and who knows? These things all weave together and. But I do think that this quality of mindfulness, which the Buddha talked about 25, 2600 years ago, he didn't invent it. You know, he, he pointed to something that was already happening in the human mind and said, this is important. This mm-hmm. has been useful to me in my evolution. And other people have also found that same thing, found that, that capacity of the mind to know what's happening while it's happening useful. And so it, it, it's, it's just a very natural capacity and, you know, a mindful, I don't know, you know, what, what it was called, but presence, maybe presence or awareness, you know, those are other words that, that people might naturally use in English for it. But it's, it's, it's basically naming a function of recognizing what's happening in the present moment that's separate from the function of attention, I talked about that yesterday, that, you know, sometimes we confuse mindfulness with attention, that we have to be picking something in order to be mindful. Um, and that, that capacity of mindfulness is kind of simpler, more just reflective than that. And so, you know, the Buddha was just highlighting this very simple capacity of mind that's, that's just part of us as human beings. So it's not that he invented it or that John Kabat-Zinn invented it. It's, it's naming something that's here that's a capacity. And we can recognize it when it's spoken about in a particular way. We can see it in ourselves. And it's like, yeah, oh, I think I get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and just to add that then the mindfulness of the middle path, you know, that we're actually using that quality and that it's, there were a lot of practices of being aware, but then assuming that the purification would happen by removing, by rejecting, or by getting, and this simplicity of actually recognizing that the freedom comes over time as the mindfulness is with things as they are, and allows us to understand the truth, and that understanding brings freedom. Because he was in a, you know, he went through all these very difficult practices and he was trying to purify his mind and body, right? Trying. And the discovery of the middle path is this, it's like the path itself is freedom. Allows us to see. And when yet when we try and, it's so interesting how in trying to be free, we use our minds, uh, like and we tie ourselves into a pretzel. Trying to be mindful, trying to, let me be peaceful by making a big knot of my mind and heart and see if that works. It's like, mm, doesn't, maybe, mm, probably not. I don't know, it hurts a little bit. Um, you know, so this beautiful, because it's like, there's this phrase, good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. 
our practice can feel good in some ways in the beginning. We're going to go through a lot of material that's challenging, but when the mind is balanced and practicing well, it has this feeling that it's a refuge. You know, we might be seeing the agitation of the mind at first, and so it's, you know, there's the aversion that comes sometimes with the mindfulness because we don't like what we're seeing, but as the mind is clear about how to be with what's arising, there is that sense of peace with what's there. Now that's right mindfulness. That's the balance of mind. We should probably stop. Yes, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, what's the schedule for this evening? Yeah, we come together at 6.45. And we have a bell ringer for that, is that right? Great, thank you. So, the time is unwinding, thoughts will go about the future. It's, someone had once shared that it's a really good opportunity when we are in retreat mode, that as an ending is coming, how, we're, how we meet this kind of ending is, you know, it's a pattern, it's how we meet a lot of endings. And we can really learn about our mind and heart as we go through these hours and see well, what does get kicked up. How am I relating to this? How much does the mind get, you know, into the thoughts or some feeling or dread of leading, leaving or the can't wait mind of leaving, whichever is predominant. It's just Dhamma. So, okay. Thank you for your practice. And... We'll keep going. <laughs>